I realized early on in my career, building a plan that someone is excited about is going to be much more successful because they're actually going to implement it. So I want, I always wanted to figure out what is going to help my client connect with these recommendations to implement and stick with it. And I always thought the emotions attached to the goals and the why is really important for me to know. This is Bridging the Gap with your host, Matt Reiner. Justin Costelli, welcome to Bridging the Gap. So happy to have you, man. How's everything going in your world? Everything is great, Matt, and I appreciate the opportunity to come join you. Yeah, this is this is going to be fun, man. I've been I've been following you for a while now and just super inspired and and impressed on kind of the journey and I I just I love to have people share their story. So I'm really excited about it and we're going to dive into so much stuff. I, I you know, your your mentality around the mind, the body, the spirit, and money, we're going to dive into that and it's going to be it's going to be fun, man. But before we do, I like to, you know, learn a little bit more about all of our guests and let our listeners learn more about you. And I, I always wonder when, you know, when I talk to leaders and entrepreneurs and, and business people like yourself, you know, the 13 year old Justin Castelli was the 13 year old Justin Castelli like, you know what, I'm going to run uh, an RA firm, I'm going to have a podcast, I'm going to run a community group. And it's all going to be focused in the wealth management world. Was that was that the, the dream of the 13 year old Justin Castelli? No, 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 no. The 13-year-old Justin Costelli was thinking about playing basketball and still in the NBA at that point. Eventually, the NBA dream kind of moved to Europe and eventually it kind of fizzled and went away. But no, um, truthfully, I didn't even know about the profession until after I graduated college. Like I, I majored in econ, thought I was going to go to law school. Uh, I had one finance class and I got a C in it. Just I didn't really care, so I just did enough to get by. And it's funny to see where I landed up and actually like love the career that I'm in. But no, that was definitely not on the radar. Well, so tell us that. So professional basketball player to entrepreneur and thought leader. Tell us from you know 13 years old, kind of your journey to, to where you are today. So I've, I've lived in Indiana my whole life, 13 year old, playing basketball. The dream was to, to play professionally, as I mentioned, and you know get through high school, I played Division three basketball in a small school south of Indianapolis called Franklin College. I went there. Again, the game plan was to go to law school only because that's what I thought was a good career. My cousin went to law school. My great uncle was a judge. Um, and my dad didn't really put a lot of influence on me to go to law school, but that was kind of the, the suggested path. And then I met my wife going into my senior year and realized three more years of school was not in the cards for me, that she was somebody special. So I graduated... I look back and I'm so lucky. I graduated with no no job lined up. And she had to finish up. She went to IU, Indiana University. She had to finish up through the summer because she changed majors early on. And so for the summertime, I spent a lot of time down there with her so she wasn't alone. And then my dad just hooked me up with people around town to network with different people in different areas of business. And I met with financial advisors multiple times, which, you know, back then, and I think it's still the case now, there's certain firms that they just Anybody can be a financial advisor. Come on and join us. But I really was intrigued by the ability of not having the same day every single day, having autonomy over my schedule and, and helping people. So I uh, went around, dropped my resume off, paper copy at offices, just going in and dropping it off and found my way into the profession through an insurance-based firm, realized that wasn't the direction I wanted to go, went to a bank for a year and hated being stuck in a branch and then got married came back from the honeymoon, and then went to a 403B company, which is really where I found my passion for the, for the profession and really became a financial advisor. So I spent seven and a half years there, and that is when I got my CFP designation. But that's where I learned how to really do financial planning. The other stops were sales and just like figuring some things out. And I realized at a certain point, I didn't want to work for a bigger organization because although I didn't necessarily follow the the guidelines of the bigger corporation as far as products and things like that, I didn't want anybody telling me what I had to do. So my game plan was I'm going to find enough clients who value working with me, position myself financially to write out a non-compete if I had to, and then open up my own shop and go independent. A few months before I was planning on doing that, I met a woman in town who was looking for a succession plan. So that carrot dangled out in front of me, kind of pulled me in a different direction. And after two years there, we both mutually decided that I was better off doing my own thing, launched my firm. And then that, I mean, truthfully, that's when 
I became an entrepreneur. I mean, obviously because I launched a firm, but it wasn't like I ever viewed myself as an entrepreneur in the early days of being a financial advisor. And I look back at kids in school that were entrepreneurial. They would, we used to play pencil pop. So the, I don't know if young people play that anymore, but basically <laughs> you would get a pencil and like someone would hold a pencil like this and the other person would try to whip it and break the pencil. <laughs> So there would be kids who would buy packs of pencils and come in and sell pencils for 25 cents to play pencil pop. Like they're making money on it. That was not me. So when I launched RLS Wealth, that was when I became a business owner. And then really the entrepreneur in me came when I started All About Your Benjamins and started writing. And becoming a, a content creator and creative unleashed this new side of myself that I didn't know that was very entrepreneurial and you know, you mentioned you followed my journey for a while. Thank you for staying with me because for a long time, basically seven years, it's been a lot of wandering. And I think we're going to touch on this in a little bit of experimenting and finding my way. But yeah, I would have never guessed this is where I would have ended up. I never had any goals of running my own business, but now I wouldn't have it any other way. You know, there's so much there that you write about because I think it's interesting that you have some entrepreneurs that like they just know, you know, the ones that were selling pencils to kind of help with that game. And then there's some that just like kind of happen, like fall into it. And mm -hmm. and I'm I'm curious from your perspective, and then I want to go down the creative journey path, and then I want to get into some authentic living side of things. I mean, we could be here for days, I think, <laughs> is, you know, the entrepreneur track, right? You have a, a unique perspective where you were not an entrepreneur prior, and mm -hmm. then you became an entrepreneur. I'm curious, like, what that transition was like going from, you know, the pre-entrepreneur world to the post-entrepreneur world. And, and what are some of those areas that you had to, that, that you struggled with, that you had to really overcome as you made that transition, because it's such a, it's, it's a challenge. Mm -hmm. It's, I mean, it's hard, and especially in you, you were married and, and starting a family and all that type of stuff. There's a lot of things flying around in the world. You're looking back. I wonder if I always, well, obviously I do believe I always had an entrepreneur in me. I just didn't know it and never uncovered it. But as I look back over my life, there were characteristics that I naturally had that have served me well as an entrepreneur. One of them being confidence and self-belief. I would like to think I don't toe over the line and come across as arrogant, but I do have a lot of self-belief and I don't think that I will fail. If anything, I'll find a way to make it work out or I'll find an alternative route to succeed. So I don't ever go into anything thinking that failure is an option because I don't think it will be. I think I'll succeed or find a way to make it work. So, But that's been with me my whole life. And I think that's why I ended up going down this path is because to become an entrepreneur, you have to have a sense of self-confidence and belief that you are going to be able to make it. And everybody has different degrees of that confidence and there's different things you can do to help it. Like for me, starting my own firm, one of the things was making sure I had enough clients I felt that would follow me eventually. So I did an unofficial survey to ask clients who they viewed themselves working with, me or the company. So there was enough there to say, okay, I think my clients value me. They told me they value me. Let's cut that number and say 60% of them actually act on their word. This business is going to be a great start. I'll be okay. And if not, I'll figure out how to make it work. So I think that that served me very well. And I, I am reluctant to say this because I know so many people do struggle but I can't look back over my journey as an entrepreneur, starting my firm and navigating everything and ever think that it was a struggle. And I think mm. a lot of that ties into the mindset part of things is I just don't view things from a negative perspective. I'm very, very aware of, and this is, goes back to something I've always believed and now I understand it more now, is just the law of attraction and what we put out is what we bring in. So to, to look at something as a struggle to me, I would be afraid to do that because I'm afraid it's going to bring struggle to me. So mm. I've always been somebody who finds the silver lining and everything. And so there's, yeah, it hasn't been perfectly smooth and things haven't always gone perfectly. But even in those times that maybe somebody else would view as a setback, I've been able to maintain an optimistic outlook on it and learn from it to move forward. And I think being able to find the learning opportunity in something that doesn't go as planned is a, a good way to maintain that positive outlook on things. And okay, this didn't work out, but I learned something and that will make me better for the future. But I say I'm reluctant to share that it hasn't really felt like a struggle because so many people do struggle. But I do want to say that because you don't, it doesn't have to feel like a struggle. Um, I also mm -hmm. think going into it, I knew there were going to be ebbs and flows and ups and downs, just like everything. So when one of those times where it was a little bit slower or things weren't as growing as fast as I wanted, 
I expected that. I kind of like, I, and, you know, think about building a new home. My wife and I built our home that we're in today, and we were the general contractors. Like, I love the experience, even with all of the contractors not showing up on time, because I expected it. So when it happened, I wasn't surprised and thrown off. Like, I just went with the flow of things. So I think the expectations you have also can help you with that, that framework. But I think the mindset is probably the thing that helped me the most on this journey. And also not being afraid to experiment, to learn, and, and come back to where I was before if it didn't work out. Yeah, I, I love the the concept that you you hone in on there with the mindset approach. I think that you know it, it touches on two things that I'm really a big believer in. Right, one is you know if you're going to enter into something that that is a challenge that you know is a challenge, have you know either have expectations that things are going to go wrong or have zero expectations whatsoever. Because I think everybody leads in with these expectations that it's going to be perfect and great, and that's where the frustration gets to is when reality doesn't meet expectations. So either set your expectations extremely low or have zero expectations, which is something that I've been working through and I think has been really good. And the other aspect that you talk about is like when that bad thing happens, it's kind of goes with the mantra of you're defined in the present, right? Mm -hmm. You're defined in right now. Like what happened, you can't change. What will happen, you don't know. So all you can define yourself in is in what you do in that moment. And you can mm -hmm. sulk or you can go and take action. And I think that that's the mentality you had, which has served you well in entrepreneurship. Now, transitioning a little bit to this other question, and then I want to dive into authentic life is, you, know, you mentioned that you were, you know, you, you were insurance, then you went to a bank, and then you went to a, a you know, wealth manager, RA, etc., and you were going to kind of find your way to to start your own firm, and then you you did start your own firm, and then you kind of jumped into all about the Benjamins in like this creative world, mm -hmm. like you were in this like wealth management world, and then you jumped to creative world. I, I'm curious because I, I think a lot of advisors don't see themselves as creatives or as content creators, and you are a leader in content creation. What spurred that? kind of leap. And was was creative and content creation something that you always had done? Or was it something that you felt a need to do? And you you identified your creative side? It all, we could all blame downtown Josh Brown for my content creation. If you if you love it, thank him. If you hate it, you know, curse him. But it was his <laughs> blog, The Reform Broker, that exposed me to the idea of writing to educate the public to grow your business. I, was, I, would, I would not have considered myself creative prior to launching the blog. You know, I didn't do anything artistic. I've not plenty instruments. Like basketball was my life growing up. I did, you know, some art projects and stuff. I won awards when I was in middle school and things. But like, I was never viewed myself as a creative. And it, it wasn't something I thought I would end up doing. But when I read The Reform Broker... And I got to see Josh's personality and see how he intermixed who he was and culture and you know, hip hop and things he was doing with finance. I was like, this is really, really cool. And I thought, well, I want to do that one day. I also realized that I'm not, like, I know who I am. I'm not an aggressive person. So I'm not going to cold call. I'm, you know, trying to get people to seminars was not my thing. So I felt like I have some clients who will follow me. I can probably go back and get some of the clients I used to work with before to give me a start. I'm just going to start writing to educate and hopefully people will, will find it, like it, and then reach out. And that was my marketing. But I never had any background in marketing. Like no one ever trained me on that. It's just, I was, I was following my passions. Like once I started doing it, it was really, really fun and I enjoyed it and I wanted to do more of it. And then I started to get positive feedback on the work that I was creating. And then the blog turned into a podcast. And the podcast is because of Patrick O'Shaughnessy's Invest Like the Best. I listened to every episode. I loved it. And I was like, well, that seems like fun. And that would be a reason for people to talk to me who have no other reason to talk to me is if I have a podcast, let me launch a podcast. So like so much of my journey has been following the things that, you know, have gained my interest and it's seeing what it's like to do that. And can I do it? And obviously, again, I go into it thinking I'm going to be successful. My podcast has never reached O'Shaughnessy's level and that's okay. Like I just did it because I enjoyed it and it helped people and it also was good for business as well. So yeah, it wasn't something I thought I would do, but once I started doing it, I, I couldn't stop. And, and truthfully, you know, if I had, if I won the lottery, I think I would just love creating content all day long, writing, podcasting, having conversations like this, having conversations that don't even lead to content. Like I just enjoy creating. And it's funny, I was talking to a friend of mine, we, we would meet regularly over the last couple of years. And he, he mentioned one time that this, 
word kept on coming up and creating was the word I would always use about different things. And the cool thing about it is that I've, I've found a way to create and express myself creatively through the content that I create. But I'm also finding a way to express my creative side and the work that I do with my clients, which is kind of leads me to going more and more into life planning and how the way I view wanting to do planning going forward allows me to be more creative because it relies less of the spreadsheets and less of the softwares. Those are important, but those aren't the most important part. It's you know kind of blending things together to get where we need to be for clients. So I think that what I've learned from all of this process is, is figuring out who I am has allowed me to grow in the direction that I need to grow as an advisor, as a husband, as a father, and as a person. What has served me well has been experimenting and trying these new things. I mean, I've, I've started and stopped blogs and podcasts. There was a moment where I wanted to work with entrepreneurs. So the way I know how to grow is content. So I started the Entrepreneur's Blueprint blog and podcast. And I did that for a little while and then realized, okay, that's not the direction I'm going. And that's when the AGC came to be. So I shut those things down. So I think a lot of times advisors are afraid to step outside of their comfort zone for fear of being judged, for fear of failure, imposter syndrome, whatever it might be. But I think stepping outside that comfort zone could be good for business immediately, or it could be good good for business in the long run as you learn more about yourself. Because I don't know about you or any other advisors listening, you probably weren't encouraged early on in your career as an advisor to be yourself and, and find out who you are, really. It's, you know, this is the way to be a financial advisor and be this, this type of person. And for some people that works and that's perfectly fine. But for other people like me, it doesn't work. So that's, it's, it's been a fun journey and I don't see the experimentation and, and moving around changing anytime soon. It just might stay a little bit more narrow than it used to be very, very broad. Well, I think that, you know, you touch on a few points, right? Like the, the idea of, the creative side, you know, you, you saw things and you tried it and you had fun with it. So you continued it. And that's like the Rick Rubin mentality in his book. He talks about experimentations, like find the ones that you like and just do it if it's fun to you. And then when it's not fun, stop. And, Mm -hmm. and I think that advisors tend to think about, they, they overthink, overanalyze certain things that like, Oh, it's fun. But like, well, is it going to do this? Is it going to do that? And there's an overanalyzing set spot of that. And you actually talked about the fear aspect, which is, I think, why a lot of advisors don't create. And in one of your daily notes recently, which, by the way, are incredible. If you haven't checked them out, go check them out on Justin's blog. Well, thank you. Is, is the idea of fear, right? False evidence appearing real, right? That's what everybody takes this idea of this evidence that they make real, but it's really false. And so they just fear trying anything new. And that's what advisors are, are doing, which is, you know, and also an amazing transition into this concept of authentically living, mm-hmm. which I think that a lot of advisors are fearful of, but you aren't. And you've kind of took it by the horns and run with it. Tell me more about what you mean by authentically living. I think that the words kind of speak for themselves, mm-hmm. but I want to be sure to give a platform there. And then also, what do you feel advisors can do more of to be authentic? I know it's mm-hmm. a silly question, but like, what do we need to do more of in an industry to be more authentic? Mm-hmm. So let me define the authentic life first. And I appreciate you giving me the opportunity because I've been, I've been working and trying to craft the message behind the authentic life because ultimately that's a term I want to own. Like if you hear authentic in life, I want my face to pop up in your mind. But to me, the authentic life is, is not that different from other terms we've heard, your best life, your rich life, you know, all these other lives that are out there. I think all of those are your authentic life. But I believe, and this is where the spirituality comes into my approach to planning going forward. I believe we were each created with unique gifts and talents that we're supposed to bring to the world supposed to bring to the universe. And when we are able to find those and share those with other people, that allows us to be who we are really meant to be. And if you think about it, many of us, all of us, you know, programmed might be a strong word, but we're programmed from a young age to, to view life in a certain lens. You go to school, you go to college, you get married, you have a 2.5 kids, you work at a career for 30 years, you retire, you get to enjoy life then, and then you die. And like that's the path that we're all in. And so many people are living lives that if they ever really sat down and, and asked themselves why a lot, it's not really the life that they want to live or they feel called to live. 
but we've mm-hmm. been told we've been told to value certain things over others. And to me, I think the authentic life will allow you to live the life you're supposed to live. It will solve problems in your life that will spill into the financial planning world when it comes to money and certain things when you're doing what you enjoy the most and you're the best at. So the authentic life is determining what is the life, what is the role you're supposed to play in this bigger picture and going in on that. And the way I think the best way to find that is the connection of spirit, mind, and body. And I always throw money in there because I'm an advisor, but that's the last thing. I think the focus Mm. is helping clients or helping ourselves even identify with ourselves in a spiritual realm and you know mindfulness and in a physical world and when you align those things you start to see these synchronicities in life unfold and there this stuff has been around forever you know Napoleon Hill Bob Proctor you know these things you read and hear that sound like there's no way that that's true like I am believing and understanding that there are these forces that are true that can help us and it all comes back to I think knowing who you are The final thing I'll say about the authentic life is I believe that when you're walking in your authentic life, being that person you're supposed to be, all of the confidence you ever need, everything you need comes from within. And so much of our unhappiness, which spills into financial struggles, is by trying to impress people to get their approval when they're not even paying attention to us. When you can get away from needing the approval of others to validate who you are, when you know who you are and you're confident in that from internal then those other things don't matter. Now you can allocate your dollars without worrying about other people to the things that matter the most. So very, very long-winded. As you can see, I haven't crafted the authentic life in a concise word, but I'll get there. But that's what it is. What can advisors do to help with it? I think first and foremost, we should lead by example. I think we should make sure that we know who we are and we get to live our authentic life. And maybe for some financial advisors, that means they're no longer financial advisors. And like this is why it gets really exciting, but also very, very scary. Because if you've gone down this path that you think you're supposed to be on and you go through and you do this work and you realize you're supposed to be over there, like that's a very scary thing to, to do. And if you have family and other things, it gets complicated, which is where all the planning comes into it. But I think advisors, first and foremost, should be living their authentic life to show their clients you can do this. I also think it gives them the ability to be more empathetic during the process if you're really going to help your clients do this, that you've been there before. You know what those fears are and what those internal dialogues are going to be for those clients so you can help them navigate it. You can't tell them, but you can help them navigate it. And then when it comes to the, the planning process, I think it's just not forgetting about the numbers because those are important, but spending more of our time either in the weeds with our clients or you know learning how to do the soft skills how to listen, how to ask good questions, and how to really help people figure out what it is they want out of life. And not every client's going to want that. You know, some clients are just going to want numbers, but I think that more and more people are more interested in living a life that they want, not the ones that they're they're told to live. And there's a lot of things that need to be figured out. And I think we as advisors have a unique opportunity to help and bring those conversations to the table because no matter what it is, there's going to be a money component to it. So why not be the person that can help or or coordinate with a therapist if need be, but help your client figure out who it is they're supposed to be and then be able to align the dollars to that version of their self. I think we're in a perfect position to be able to do that. And I I love this idea, right? It's the fulfillment idea. It's what Bain and company has found in terms of what is true value is fulfillment. And and, and fulfillment is spirituality. It's mind, it's body. and And it's also... You know, it's changing the conversation in the wealth management world from what we don't control as much as we think we control the markets. Like we can do everything that's still out of our control to things that we can control, which is us and ourselves, how we view things, how we perceive things, how we take care of our body and all those types of things. And that's where then value can be seen exponentially and truly impactful. I'm curious to like the the barriers here, right? You mentioned the world we grow up in. I think about like when we go to school and we when we're a young kid and you fail, you just laugh it off. Like my my son threw the trash can, a metal trash can at me the other day. He's four years old and I, like it nailed my foot and like it hurt like all be out and I'm like in pain and he's laughing at me mm-hmm. like he did something wrong and he's laughing because they they don't know the difference. And then when you go to school and you start doing something wrong, like you get a big red X, and now mm-hmm. it's like, oh my God, I did something bad. And the world we're in changes you know, how we react to things. But I see like the barriers in this, like 
it's it's a huge change like mm-hmm. and nobody likes change so how do we help people walk through that change to to get to the other side that we know and we see but that nobody really wants to raise their hand on because there's no tangible value that they can put a hand on today with mm-hmm. i don't know if this answers the question directly i'm not trying to avoid it but like when you ask that what i think about is you know, i think just helping clients realize whether or not they're happy in the life that they're in. I mean, we only get one life. I mean, depending on your beliefs, but let's just say you have you have one one go at this experience. Why would you not do everything in your power to have the life that you feel called to live? And if what you're doing doesn't align with that, then I think you owe it to yourself and we as advisors owe it to our clients to help them evaluate that and figure out What's missing? What would you rather be doing? Why aren't you happy? You know, what changes can be made? And then go explore it. Now, just because we go through a process of finding out what your authentic life is supposed to be, and the authentic life is an, it's an evolving life. It's not like set and forget it. But we go through this process. That doesn't mean you are going to be able to have everything in it. Like, because there is a financial component to it. So don't start with a financial component, which could limit your authentic life. Start with the authentic life, the life that you really want to be living, and then bring the numbers to it to see what can happen. And, and I think that what will happen for a lot of people is when they really hone in on what it is they're supposed to be doing in the life they're supposed to be living, then they can change the numbers to support that because other things that aren't as important, you can make sacrifices. This is like trimming the fat type stuff, but bigger than that. Like if, if I have a vision of my life that is, I know will make me happy. I've done the work. This is what's for my family. And it requires a drastic change Then I would be more than happy to make a lot of different changes because the happiness with me and my family and the experiences I have with them is more important than these other things. Mm-hmm. I just don't think people know what that thing is. That's so important that they're willing to really make big changes over here. And the other side of the coin is I also think that when you find that that authentic life, and if that's a different career, whatever it might be, when you're doing the thing that you can do better than anybody else, when you're the the Michael Jordan or the Kobe Bryant of your of your thing, then you know I think the financials kind of come with it, and 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 sometimes it means you make more money because you're more productive and you're better at your job and you're the best, but also it it's, uh, it can also mean that the money levels out at a different level than before because you know the life you want doesn't require the income that you once needed. Like with Life Design Plus, the new relationship that I started, I want to help everybody no matter where they are on the spectrum. But I think this relationship is is really geared towards the individual that has more than enough money. They have the net mm-hmm. worth. They've achieved all those like successful goals that we're told we're supposed to strive for, but they're not happy. So the, you know, making more money doesn't make a difference in their life. Like, okay, that you've got all the money in the world and you're not happy. Why? And let's go figure it out. You don't have to have all the money in the world to figure out why you're not happy. Like, go figure that out and then start crafting your life to become happy. So, like, this concept applies to everybody. But when I think about the obvious scenario, there's a lot of unhappy rich people and there are a lot of happy people who don't have that wealth. And it's because it's not tied to money. It's tied to Mm. the other things. That's so good, man. That's so true. You know, I'm thinking about it from like putting my advisor hat on, right? Because I, I, I'm a believer in what you're saying. I put a lot of time into self and mindfulness and, and body and stuff of that nature. But some advisors may feel that this is like too touchy-feely mm-hmm. for them, right? They feel like this is therapist type stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and so to those advisors that are thinking that right now, like, I don't know how to get that deep with my clients. Like, I, because you got to get pretty deep to help mm-hmm. understand this. You've got to ask why a lot mm-hmm. and, and get really personal. What do you say to those advisors to help them get over that fear, which is just false evidence appearing real, but how do you help them get over that fear? I would first tell them that they may never get to the point where they'd get that close to their clients. And that's okay. Going back to the authentically living if that's not who you are as an advisor, don't force yourself to be that because you're not going to be good at it because it's not natural and authentic. But I wouldn't just write it off. I think you owe it to yourself and to your clients as the advisor to go through and learn more about this. So whether that is you know, Kinder's life planning program, I'm going through Evoke uh, in November. I'm a huge fan of George. I'm a huge fan of the life planning process. And I'm just now going to destination. But there's trainings and things you can go to, read the books and don't be afraid. Like 
what is there to be afraid of? Going back to what you said earlier, and you know, false evidence appearing real. Shout out to my barber, Mr. Greg, who put that on my radar. I'd never heard that acronym before. But you're telling yourself this story. Your clients might want you to ask them why more. They might just be waiting for somebody to help them figure it out because they can't do it on their own. And I think asking why is very easy. And the more you do it, the easier it becomes. The more you do it, you get better at reading people's, you know, body language and and their energy. And then you can pick up to say, okay, I need to ask one more time because that that answer was just surface level. I can tell there's more to it. And it just it's I think it's I think it's something that some of us are born with, but I also do think it is a skill that you can develop with time if you're really committed to it. But at the end of the day, if you put in some work and you practice it and it just doesn't feel right to you, then I don't think you should force it because not every client and not every individual is going to want their financial advisor to go that deep with them. There are people who are just like that advisor that just, hey, tell me the numbers. How can I minimize my taxes? What's the best portfolio? How much do I need to save? I don't want to get into emotions because I'm not personally there myself, so I don't want you, my advisor, to be there. Then don't do it because there's still advi- there's still clients that need to be served that don't want that. But if you as an advisor feel like you want to go into that depth, then go there. I mean, when I talk about my existing clients, they didn't come to me for this you know, spiritual, mindfulness, body type of approach. It all started from traditional financial planning. And I don't force any of this on them. They get my notes and they get everything I read. So they know what I'm thinking about, but it's not been forced on them. And some of them have just stayed in traditional financial planning and I'm happy to do that. But I'm finding more and more of my clients bringing some of this you know, Life Design Plus approach to our meetings just through their own, con- the bringing up things in their own conversation. So I think that you give it a try. And if it's not you, then don't force it. Be who you are as an advisor and be that best version of yourself. And the clients who want and need that type of advisor will find you and you'll have a great practice. You'll work with people who appreciate the way you do things. And you don't have to worry about trying to do things the way I do it, because this is just the way I want to do it is just one way of an infinite ways of doing what we do that can be done. So you don't have to try, but I do think you should try just to see how it feels. Which is the beauty of this industry, right? There's so many different ways of doing this business. And it reminds me as you're talking about you know the book, The Power of Moments by Dan Heath. And one of the points they make in that book, Dan Chapeeth, is like making an experience different than what people expect, mm-hmm. right? Like, can you change a presentation? Everybody expects when they go to a presentation to have a, have a PowerPoint, sit and listen. Like, can you change that perception? Or everybody expects their meeting with the financial advisor to be X, Y, and Z. But if you change it, then it becomes memorable. Mm-hmm. And, and that there is a power in that to where you then are you're then identified as unique and different, which is extremely powerful, especially in this industry where it's somewhat become commoditized a little bit. How can you be different? And and then I'm curious from your perspective, like on the life planning side, right? You talk about how money is discussed last. And you know, as people are starting to think about this, like the value pyramid and fulfillment. You know, there's a lot of thought going into this. So how does a life planning conversation or meeting go? And, and like, if I was a client, what does that experience feel like mm-hmm. and, and look like to me? So I'll speak to the way that, that I do it. There, there are some numbers that come early, like the foundations of a financial plan, insurance, emergency fund, like making sure all of those numbers are in place. Because while we build out this life plan, while we figure out what your authentic life looks like, I don't want to have any, you know, disasters that could happen because we didn't address like the insurance and those things. So those things do come first. So the process that that I would take you through is, you know, we would go through your traditional fact finding, if you will, meeting. I'd have you fill out all the information to write capital ahead of time so we can spend less time on the numbers and spend more time talking about what it is that your goals are as of today. So kind of like, what's the plan you've always been on that is the one that maybe has been influenced by other people? And let's make sure you're on a good track for that path. Because we can't, you come in day one, we're not going to find your authentic life in in the first meeting. Like this may, it might take us a year or longer to really find what it is. We're always going to be moving towards it. So let's just make sure where you always thought you were going, that's on a good path. Are Are there things we need to change? And if not, we're on a good path for that life. Now let's go for the, the authentic life. And then it becomes just, you know, diving deeper into the questions, into the why. I, I'm having my clients do the Enneagram test. So I want to understand 
what your Enneagram number is, which if you don't know what the Enneagram test is, it's a series of questions. They have numbers that they spit out and it basically tells you kind of how your mind works. And the reason I want to know that is I want to understand what your number is and how your mind works so I can better communicate with you. Because I think there's going to be a lot of behavior change, a lot of big changes that come up. And I want to make sure that I'm communicating in a way that will resonate with you. So if you're somebody who is like my wife, who's more of a conservative person who thinks the worst so that they're not surprised when the worst happens, I can't come at you the same way I would come at me, who's the eternal optimist. I can still relay the same message, but the way I need to do it needs to be more in line with how you operate, which is why I want to have the Enneagram so I do a better job. So that's part of the early process as well. And then it's a, you know just continuing to dive in and looking at, well, what are the things that are lacking in your life? What do you wish you were doing? And, and not settling for I don't knows or, or very surface level answers. And it's you know, that's not something that is very tangible, but I think as an advisor, you know when you're getting the real answer from a, from a client. I mean, just as a, as a human being, like interacting with human beings, you know when someone's just telling you something to, to answer the question versus somebody's really thought about it and giving you the deeper answer. So you mentioned why, like why is the best question? And ask why multiple times, because it's rarely the first answer of why that is going to get you the answer. And what I've built out with Life Design Plus is, I mean, it's really an intense relationship and I'm happy to say I have my first client that signed up for it. So now it's no longer theory. I'm going through this with somebody. But I have daily journal entries for them. They have a dashboard that I created inside of Notion that's designed to really help them continue to move forward and figuring out what it is that they want and they're supposed to be doing. And then me being there to just kind of help be an advocate for them, help them figure things out, help them with questions, accountability, whatever it might be. But you mentioned Rick Rubin who I absolutely love. And in some respect, I kind of want to take a Rick Rubin approach to financial planning. And what I mean by that is Rick Rubin, the, is a, as a producer, is not working the mixing tables. He's not on the drum kit. He's sitting down with the musician and helping them find the song from within. It's very you know zen. You know, he's walking around with no shoes on, white t-shirt, big beard. And he's just very, very emotional, like very, very sensitive and emotional and asking questions and spiritual. And then these hits come out. And then when the hit comes out, he makes these subtle suggestions that take it from a good song to a great song. Example being Jay-Z's 99 Problems. At the very beginning of the song, it starts out a cappella, and Jay-Z starts out, I've got 99 problems, but uh, isn't one. And then the beat drops. That was Rick Rubin's subtle suggestion was, why don't you do the acapella? And he did it. And that, like, that song is, is very well known. And that's the thing that kicks it off. So Rick is not telling Jay-Z, here's the song you need to write. He's helping him figure it out through his magic process. And then he comes through and he makes these subtle changes and suggestions to make the song complete. I think as the advisor, my job is to help you through questions and in, in, in the relationship, figure out what that authentic life might look like. And then I think my subtle suggestions are going to be the planning things. All right, well, we need to save here. We need to invest like this. Here's the changes we need to meet and build the plan to that life. So I think that that is where these relationships are going to be going and how I'm striving to do this relationship. In the past, before I got really cemented on this, I always asked questions. Like That's why life planning for me seemed so, so obvious was I was already doing that myself before I knew that that style of planning existed. And that was just because that's how I naturally operated. Like I wanted to know why, because I felt that helped me do a better job. I realized early on in my career, building a plan that someone is excited about is going to be much more successful because they're actually going to implement it. Versus if I create a plan that gets them to retirement, but that doesn't align with what they want to do, they're never going to implement it. So yeah, the PDF looks great, but they never implement it, so they never reach it. So I want I always wanted to figure out what is going to help my client connect with these recommendations to implement and stick with it. And I always thought the emotions attached to the goals and the why is really important for me to know. You know, that's something I was going to go after. And, and I wanted to ask this question, and I've got one other one before we close out because mm -hmm. I want to be respectful of your time, mm -hmm. is... The impact that you have now in terms of judging it based off of execution or implementation of the plan, the follow through by clients relative to what was happening before you started implementing the life planning and the authentic life mentality, 
Have you been able to see a difference of people owning the plan and executing on the plan and relative to how it was prior of just using maybe a spreadsheet or a, a big kind of 50 page financial plan from eMoney or Right Capital? I would say that the success of execution has been pretty consistent. Again, I've always tried to attach the emotional part of the plan to the numbers. So, but what I have seen more of, and even before Life Design Plus, like it's been an evolution to get to that relationship. I've seen clients taking more control over their life and taking more calculated risks and, and doing things they didn't think they were going to be able to do because of the plan and because of the conversation. Mm -hmm. So an example of, um, I shared at the beginning of the book that the AGC put out, More Than Money, my high school English teacher is a client of mine, and she's given me permission to talk about the story. But she ended up, after our planning and our conversations, and it was more the conversation and then bringing the number to the conversation, retiring, moving out to Arizona, and living her best life. And one of the coolest moments in my career was at the end of the meeting where we finalized what she was going to do, she hugged me and said, you gave me 10 years back of my life. Because she thought she had to retire at 65 because that's what her parents told her, that's what other people told her, and she didn't. And the really cool thing about it is the planning process continues and the authentic life is an evolution. And now that she's made this public, she's actually moving back to Indiana. And the really cool thing about that is she, she took this risk. She's financially no worse off than she was if she would have stayed here, actually probably a little bit better, but she got to experience that version of herself, the, the Arizona version of herself she got to experience, and she loved it, but she also realized what was so great about the Indiana version of herself, and that sometimes what, you know, the grass isn't always greener, that that was great for a couple of years, but that helped her realize that being back here was more important to what she values the most, and she never would have been able to do that if she didn't go spend a couple years out at Arizona. And mm -hmm. most people won't do that because they're afraid of the numbers. Well, if I sell my house here and I move there and I have to sell a house there, like maybe I lose money on the moving costs or, or she's going to have a higher interest rate here, like all these different things. But at the end of the day, her plan supports all of that. So who cares about if you have a little bit higher interest rate? She's never going to have any regrets. If she stayed in Indiana the whole time, she would want, always wonder, well, what would it have been like to live in Arizona? I always wanted to do that. I didn't do it. I'm mad at myself. Or if she was so, so cost fearful that she's like, oh, I can't move back to Indiana because interest rates are higher. I'm going to stay in Arizona, but I'm not going to be as happy because I'm not getting the things I need to get back, back home in Indiana. She moved back. And to me, that encompasses what this authentic life is all about. It's about taking risks, experiencing different versions of yourself, going and making it happen, doing it smart and you know, crunching the numbers and making sure you're being smart about things, but not letting the numbers always dictate what it is that you do. And being okay that, all right, I might waste some money, but you know what? That's what life is about. And yes, she's fortunate to be in a position where she can not have to like pinch pennies, but Again, if, if it's really that important to you, then I think the, the risks associated with it and the sacrifices you might have to make are worth it. So like to me, that is like the epitome of I want to do all types of planning like that. Where we're taking risks, we're thinking outside the box, we're doing things other people won't do. We're overcoming those fears by consulting the plan, having conversations, talking about the numbers, making sure it doesn't blow things up, but then taking action. And so many people won't take action whether it's the numbers or the fear, or they don't have an advisor who tells them, go do it. Um, and not every advisor is going to be comfortable doing that because there are risks associated with it. Like I, there's, there's a scenario that could have been that moving to Arizona somehow could have caused things to go south financially. And it was my recommendation that told her to do that. But we did everything we needed to do. We did, we did everything we could do in our power to make sure that it was a good decision. It wasn't going to cause any problems. And after that, if, it, if it's outside of our hands, there's something we can do about that. Yeah, you can't predict what could happen. There's so many different scenarios. It becomes exponential. And you answered actually my question of what would the world look like if everybody was living their authentic life? And that's exactly what it would be. It would be that Eng your English teacher. Mm -hmm. it, it would be taking these calculated risks and in letting the future cards come as they do. The, the last question, though, that I want to ask is to that person that's sitting there listening to this and says, you know, Justin is so right. Like, I get it. I'm in for it, but I just, I, you know, I'll do this when I 
reach XYZ level, mm-hmm. when I become a director or when I make X number of dollars or when I reach there, what do you say to, how do you encourage that person to overcome that statement? I wouldn't force them to overcome it. I would just challenge that statement to say, what if you don't ever get to that level? And not from a standpoint of you don't progress in your career, but what if life has different plans for you? What if you don't get an opportunity to make it to that long of life to be able to do that? Why delay it? Or how much better could your life be if you're doing that thing today to where that level doesn't matter anymore? So I would just, you know, depending on that individual and knowing them, I would challenge them with questions to get them to think about how much would you regret not doing this thing? And then you always check it with the numbers. Okay, this is something I really want to do. How do we make that happen with the numbers? And, and you know, it's, I want to be careful of not encouraging people to be reckless and go spend money and take all these trips to do these things and be, be silly with their money. But I also don't want people to be handcuffed because they're afraid of the money component of it. And, and I think that, you know, especially younger generations, like they're, we want to live more now then worry about delaying enjoying life till later. So I think that like career path is going to change. And so preparing yourself to be able to plateau in the middle of your career, spend more time with your kids. Like I'm not trying to grow my firm very quickly because I don't want to work that much harder. Like I work hard for my clients today, but I have a lot of flexibility to never miss being with my kids and taking them to coffee, to the coffee shop every Friday. That to me is more important than growing the firm today. So I have built my personal plan to say, okay, for the next 10 years, I'm not going to save as much, not going to invest as much, and that's okay because of what I've done on the front end. But that's more. it's more important for me to have these years and be there, be present, than if I had to work a couple more years on the tail end. Truthfully, I'll do this forever. So like that, that works out to my plan as well. But I just think that there's no guarantees. And if the numbers support that you can do something today, I don't know if you should delay it because you might not get an opportunity to do it. Yeah, it reminds me, I mean, of how Hirschfield and the future self, I keep quoting all these books because you just, you're teeing it up so well, is it's like the idea that there's only certain stages of life where you can do certain things, right? Like if you don't go do it in that stage of life and figure out how to make it happen mm-hmm. reasonably, financially reasonably, then it may pass you by. You may not be able to go on that random trip to Europe with your friend because then you might fall in love and have a family and it's harder to go do these types of excursions. And it's not necessarily because you won't be here. It's just because your life changes and the way that it is today your future is not the same. We only think, we can only imagine our life being the same as it is. Justin, man, this has been an awesome conversation. As I said earlier, and it, it's more true now than and it was before, is, you know, I'm super inspired and appreciative of what you're doing for the industry. So uh, I appreciate the time. Before I let you go, I've got to ask you kind of my two questions I ask all mm-hmm. my guests. And the first is being just a, a constant driving my curiosity and a constant learner. I love to learn from people that are smarter than me, and I like to do so by reading. And so I always ask everybody, what's one of those books out there that you think everybody should read or reread if they've already read it? It's not a finance book. It's The Alchemist. So I just reread it again for the second time in the last year. And it's the story of Santiago who goes on a journey to find his personal legend. So it's, it's very much in line with Life Design Plus and the, this idea of the pursuit of the authentic life. And it was a really meaningful book for me because when I read it and actually read it through the, for the whole book was as I was coming up with this idea of the pursuit and the authentic life. And it gave me a lot of confirmation that I'm onto something that's important. Um, for financial advisors, again, I think we can be Santiago trying to find our way of who we are and finding our personal legend. But there's a character in the book, The Alchemist. I also think that we as advisors can be the alchemist for our clients. And I won't spoil the relationship. It's a quick read. I read it in a day. A lot of people we look up to cite this book as one of their favorite books. Kobe Bryant was the reason I bought it originally. So The Alchemist is the book I would recommend. I love it. I love it. It's on the shelf and it's been recommended multiple times. Last question is, is, you know, we talked about a ton here and I always like to have our listeners walk away with something actionable that they can implement today or tomorrow to better themselves, their business, uh, their life. And so what's the one actionable idea that you hope any listener to the podcast can take away from what our discussion was today? I was going to go a different direction. But I would say an actionable item to get you thinking more along the lines of, are you living authentically? 
I'll give you an exercise that Jason Wink had me do. And I've talked about it before and written about it, but he had me plan out my ideal day. And this, this activity was very, very instrumental in getting to where I am today. And the reason I'm such a big believer in this authentic life and spirit, mind, body, and money is because it's what I experienced over the last couple of years. I never would have said I didn't have a great life, but when I found that alignment, things changed. So going through the ideal day, everything from when you wake up, the first thing you do, what you eat for breakfast, who you eat it with, where are you at, all the way to the end of the day. What does that ideal day look like? And the caveat is you're not allowed to, to say but, meaning this would be a part of my ideal day, but I have kids. Everything is a possibility. And sit down and, and really be honest with yourself. What does your ideal day look like? How much time are you spending working with clients? Are you even spending time with clients? Like, If you could plan your ideal day, what does it look like? And I think there's a lot of direction that can be found in that ideal day. So for example, in my ideal day, there was a big chunk reserved for creating because I, I love it so much. At the time that I did that, there was no, I was squeezing my creativity in between a bunch of different things. Eventually, I changed things professionally and freed up time that I have time every day to express myself creatively, whether I put it out or not. But if I hadn't sat down and wrote out, this would be my dream day, I had nothing to compare it to. And I think mm -hmm. if you start on your dream day, you can begin to compound from there and begin to have a better idea of, well, these are the things that I'm most interested in. These are the things I have a passion for, yet they don't show up in my day-to-day -day life. So how can I bring those in in small ways and then begin to increase it and let that kind of be your guide? So plan out your ideal day. I've done that exercise. That exercise is game-changing. Mm -hmm. It is incredible. So I love that. Justin, man, I can't thank you enough. And I know that everybody on here is going to want to continue to follow you and, and be a part of your journey. So what's the best way for people to stay in touch and continue to follow everything that you're doing and all the great words you have to say? Yeah, I would just send you to my website, justincastelli.io. So just my first name, last name, .io. And that'll get you to YouTube, Twitter, all the stuff that I do. That's the, the best hub for it. And that's where you can also find the daily notes, which I appreciate you mentioned earlier. Awesome, man. Justin, thanks so much for joining us here and spending some time with us. I greatly appreciate it, man. Matt, thank you. The pleasure is mine. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Bridging the Gap. Don't forget to give us a rating and let us know what you think. 